Welcome to the Outdoor Country Talk Podcast, hosted by Jacob Poole and Jeremy Shaw, where we bring country living and the great outdoors together. Welcome back to another episode of Outdoor Country Talk with Jacob and Jeremy. Jacob, man, we're kind of whittling down on our old turkey season here, but I still see uh, I still see plenty getting killed around. Man, it's a pile of turkey still going down. I guess with everybody being out of school and off of work for the coronavirus, it's uh, yeah, it's it's more pressure in the woods, more people, which is a a good thing and a bad thing. You know, next year's turkey population may be a little slim, but we we've got more hunters in the woods. Hopefully, more hunting licenses being bought and more people well, learning you, it, learning uh, something about had, this passion. I, I hadn't been able to do my part yet. I've been struggling, man. I don't know what my deal is. I just, uh, it hadn't been my year. Yeah, there's, there's going to be years like that. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, we still got one more shot, though, on the, on the, uh, the public land draws. Me and, uh, me and Shedler's going to get out from this weekend up at Kapai County, and, and, um, we're going to see what we can do. Give him, give him one more, one more shot. He's uh he's wondering how many two year olds may be left. I'm like, Shedler, we are in uh we're about midway through almost of April. And um I imagine them fired up two year olds have been educated if they have not been killed yet. Well, if you will convince him of this, I thought about this the other day and I hadn't shared it yet, but if you will convince him to shave his beard, he can probably get away with killing a Jake. Well, yeah, because he and, uh, he can still pass you know, for about fifteen or sixteen if he'll get that beard gone. So, well, you know, last time him and I went hunting together, he showed up at my house. It's when we went up to Sandy Creek, and we didn't we didn't have any luck there. But he showed up at my house with nothing but a mustache. So he's getting there, and that that did not prove to be good luck for us. So I don't know what he's got up his sleeve for this hunt. So we'll uh we'll see but the stash did not did not produce anything for us well i hate i didn't get a picture of the stash only i'll see i'll see what he's got this weekend and i'll uh i'll circulate it around the group if there's anything special coming from the shed that works that works well look i'm not sure if i'm supposed to share this online but or on air but uh i got a text a little while ago from a good friend of ours uh-huh and he and I spent two days this week. I took my camera and went and tried to see if we couldn't help him work up a bird he's been working on. And it's an old bird. He gobbles on the limb. He does not gobble on the ground hardly. Mm. Uh, he's hinned up right now. So it's just a, it's a challenge. And we had him the first morning kind of hammering back at us. And I heard the hen get with him. And when she started cutting back, I I told him, I said, man, it's it's a hit or miss you know, if if we can make her mad, we may be able to talk him over, but otherwise, they gone. Well, of course, they were yeah. gone. Well, he texted me earlier and said that his strategy this morning was just kind of set up and ambush him, and it, apparently at 10 steps, he... Uh, oh, he, it worked. He got excited. Well, it kind of worked. Uh, oh, oh. He got him within range and got to see him finally, but he got to see him run away also, so... Uh, oh, no. He said he looked down and looked back up, and when he looked up, the turkey was standing there. He said it wasn't. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I won't divulge name, but I, I know a fellow's feelings is hurt real bad because I had told him that Cameron and I might would try to come this morning if the rain didn't get us, and 
it was raining too hard and we decided just to sleep in this morning but so in other words he may have just made this game a little bit harder yeah he said he educated him a little better this morning (laughs) he has he has definitely furthered his knowledge so man i can tell you i know uh i post a few things on facebook about it but if if my kids can't go back to school or anything like that, I'm going to probably have to invest in, like, two brand-new dirt bikes before this is over with. And I'm telling these two at the house have just about gotten gotten the oil hot in them about six hours out of the day, I think. Well, it's not going to be long if they keep progressing at the rate that I've been watching that you're going to have to invest in some dirt work, too. Well, that – well, we've been working on that. We um we had a little little spot disket up for them last year. And um, it just kind of just, you know, grew up through the winter, didn't do a whole lot of riding through the winter. And I told him, I said, well, we get a little bit of rain. We're going disc to disc it back up and get some get some dirt for him to ride on. And uh, we got the rain last night, but I'm going to hold off and wait till this rain comes through this weekend. They're talking about a pretty good bit. But, man, I can tell you, these boys, that's all. They have, they get schoolwork done and, you know, because teachers sending lesson plans out and, all that and then it turns into full-blown dirt bike mode and my littlest one he um we fight which he's only four and i you know he, he got his dirt bike when he was three and uh started riding with training wheels of course and we finally talked him into getting those off and it's i don't know really what 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 got into him but when them training wheels came off it was uh it was on then he's he's blowing and going man doing doing really well riding and well he's competing with big brother well, he's doing that, and uh, and I've never been around many four-year-olds, but um, this boy, he rides a bicycle every day, and um, I don't know if that's typical for a four-year-old. It wasn't for his older brother, but uh, he rides a is he he's either on a bicycle or on a dirt bike every day, and uh, he may uh, he may be our next local Kevin Windham. You can't ever tell. I don't know. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it, though? Yeah, that could work into a nice retirement. Y'all need a manager? I want to go ahead and throw my name in a hat for that position. Well, I've turned into the full-time sponsor because it's always, Daddy, we need to get this, or Daddy, we need to get this. And I'm like, hold up, son. I, we, 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 need to, we need to slow down a little bit on this. I'm not uh, – we've got to get a bigger sponsor than, than Daddy. We're all in time. But, uh, all in time. Oh, yeah. But it's been, uh, it's been busy around my house. We've – we have uh, we've been fishing, we've been dirt bike riding, and it's been uh it's been good, man. We've been we've enjoyed our coronavirus, COVID twenty nineteen, whatever you want to call it, quarantine. It's been uh it's been good. Well, I told somebody the other day, I guess it's living out in the country, but you know, if it wasn't for kids not being in school right now and no softball or baseball, our life really hadn't changed that much. I really had. I Other mean, than the homeschool work, or... uh, you know, we we really didn't eat out a whole lot. We ate here at the house mainly. You know, normally eat something here at the house. Um, but you know, the I have noticed that the Amazon, the FedEx, and the UPS packages have slowed down coming to the house. Thank goodness. So I hadn't had yeah. to work the driveway quite as often here during all this. But let's. Uh, we, we've got a really interesting guest with us today. Why don't we go ahead and get him introduced and uh, a, a local guy from Liberty who's making it making it big in a in a new industry. Yeah, yeah, man. Introduce who we got today. Y'all, today we've got Mr. Randy Caston from Liberty, Mississippi. And Randy was a Forged and Fire winner from Season 6, Episode 16. Mr. Randy, you still there? 
I'm still here. <clears throat> yeah, been a, been a been a good ride so far. If they get this virus over with, so we can get back to traveling. What kind of walk us into? I I know you. I've known you for years, but for the folks listening, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and and kind of walk us into this a little bit. And I, I I do hate to do it. I'm not much of a speaker, but I have done a few speaks, and I kind of tell them about how we got started. And it's to me, it's a to some folks too, it's a comical. But I watched the show on TV is what got me started, and I was sitting there and I told my wife, I said I can do that. And uh, the next morning I did. It didn't look good, but it was something, and I enjoyed it so. Long story short, I kept going and kept going, and about two and a half years into it, I got I belonged to the American Blade Society, which is, and I want to call them elite bladesmiths. You've got to really know what you're doing to to get up in the steps. I got a journeyman and then a master smith, and there's less than 200 master smiths in the world, and to get to the journeyman. Or the master smith, you have to take tests, and it takes time. And anyway, they had a uh, application about forging fire or something coming there, and I filled it out for the fun of it. One Sunday morning, I got a call, and a lady told me she would ask me if I was interested in being on the show. And I said, oh, "Yeah, maybe." And she said, "We we want to interview." So she said, uh, we're going to interview you by Skype. I said, ma'am, what is that? I said, I don't even know what that is. Long story. We went through the deal. She got me set up, and we interviewed. The next call I got said that we, we want you on our show. And I said, well, that's good. She said, are you excited? I said, yes, ma'am. And uh, I'm still thinking this is something that's not really going to happen. But it did. Uh, they got me set up, and I went to Connecticut and met some boys when I got off the airplane. And they had a car there to pick me up. There was a fella come out there looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I said, boy, I hope I'm not competing against him. And I got in the car, and he got in the back seat. I thought, oh, this ain't going to be good. But anyway, we met good folks. There was four of us competitors, and uh, we went to competing, and and it's a real deal. You, you, you look at TV stuff, and sometimes you say, well, you know, that's for TV. When that clock starts ticking, it's real. And the, the pressure that, that you have a bladesmith, any one of those bladesmiths could have won. Oh, they're they're good. The pressure got to Grover, which is the first feller, and uh, he just made a little simple mistake. And then the next boy that went out, uh, you know, he built something that wouldn't hold up. So I went into the finals competing against a 19-year-old, which is a good smith. And... uh, as he said on TV, I'm three or four times older than him. But, you know, anyway, he... <laughs> he, he had to point he that out. Just, 
Yeah, he had to point that out, and and uh, it it was interesting. He's a good bladesmith. He, he does real good, but he's an artist. I watched his, looked at some of his drawings he does, and to me, if I could draw like that, I wouldn't be building blades. He's real good. But anyway, we went into the finals, and uh, I guess my blade just held up better than his, and he is broke. But it's it's been a it's been a good ride. We traveled and we did a lot of charity work last year. We do it on our own. It's nothing to do with the show. We're just forging fire people. And uh, we do charity work. We raise money for this and other. And we go to blade shows. And, and the best part out of it to me, of course, winning was good. But the best part is I've made a lot of friends that I can learn from, and most of them are real good bladesmiths and and can make blades that you think bought off, you know, factory made. So it's been a good ride so far. Now, going back a little bit, you said that you got to kind of got the idea of, of starting to do it off of watching the show, but what – what equipment, what materials, I mean, what did you have to start with? You said you went out and made a knife the next day. I mean, what in the world well, did you make a knife out yeah. of the next day? When I went out, the first knife I made, I made out of all three, a piece of all three. And I, I had a little uh, make-do torch, I mean, uh, forge, and uh, I took a all three and shaped the knife into it and and I had a sander, of course, because using other, uh, doing other work, I have grinders and sanders. So I started with a sander and a side grinder and a small forge. And, you know, shaping it is, you know, anybody can build a knife. It, it takes a little bit to learn how to shape them and, the, you know, and all the metal work and the, and the but, that's what I had to start with as a side grinder and a make do forge, and I made it. And from then, I started collecting. Uh, I had a gentleman to give me a anvil because I didn't have one. I was using a railroad track, which a lot of people still do. Uh, take a railroad track and use this as an anvil. But from there, I started collecting uh, machinery and things and it makes it a lot easier and then you learn what pieces to buy and what pieces that you can make i made my first uh hammer power hammers what they call them out of a, a scrap off the place and took an engine and took a truck spring and used it for a long time and used the hammer itself was Again, a railroad track I'd cut up and use it because of the weight and, and it's hard. So I make a lot of my tools and I've learned how to do a little better making my tools. So I made me a press out of a wood splitter and it really does good. And I've, I've altered it a little bit from the first time that I built it. So it's still, and I'm still using it today. So in this, you get to meet blacksmiths, bladesmiths, and, and a lot of your blacksmiths build blades, but they're really blacksmiths. They make the flowers and the ladders and the 
fences and things like that, and uh, they make tools. And you get to know a bunch of these people, and and I try to go to every school, ever gather, and we call them hammer-ins. I go to a lot of the hammer-ins, and we share our knowledge of how we do things and what kind of tools we use and what we make and things like that. So you learn a lot, and it's it's an everyday learning, just like going to school to educate yourself to read and write anything. So it's it's a lot. The last build that we had before this virus, we there's a man by the name of Clay Spencer that's redesigned a power hammer, which is called a wheel hammer. And we built, he's built thousands, but we built the first 28 75-pound power hammers that he's built, and we did it in three days. We built 28 of them. And uh, I didn't know what to expect. I said, well, this is going to be a fun weekend. We work all weekend. Three days, we built 28 power hammers. <laughs> and everybody that was there that came there to, to do it for the hammer brought a hammer home with them. So that's things that you learn. And, you know, this man's built a 1,000, so he had all the 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 surprises out of it, he knew what we was doing. So that's, that's the reason I chose to go up under him and learn what, you know, pick his brain as much as I can. But there's a lot of learning, no matter who you are. And <laughs> there, I've got some, I call them mentors, uh, master smiths that I, study under i watch what they do i talk to them i let them look at my blades and, and tell me what i need to do and these men have been doing it for 30 or 40 years and there's one in shreveport uh a good friend of mine uh, jw randall which has been a master smith since uh late 80s or early 90s or something somewhere in there and uh he called me one day and said, I need a student. I'm, I'm putting on a class. I said, well, I'll be there. I said, I want to be, I want to pick your brain. So I attended one of his schools, which is a three-day school. And he just opened my eyes the way I was doing it and the way he was doing it. He was doing it and it was so much simpler than the way I was doing it. So things like that is what we try to pick on. And I put on a few schools here on beginners and teaching them how to get started and what to do and how metal moves and what you got to do with it. And uh, so I still go. There's one in Arkansas that I'm wanting to go talk to, uh, go up under him. And the part that he does that I like, he does all his engraving by hand. And I'm just getting into the engraving part. And he's probably one of the best, and he's been doing this for about 40 years. And we talked back and forth, and of course, with this virus, I had a a school that he had started. Uh, he was one of the teachers, and I was going to it for a week. And, of course, it's all got canceled right now, but I will attend whenever they allow us to go back. And just to pick up some of the things he does on Anyway, 
you know, anything. And I, like I told him, I, I'm sure there's a lot I still need to know. I know there is. And I watch what he does online. But the school that he puts on, if you got hands on, no matter what it costs, it'll pay for itself in the long run. And so I told him, I'll be there. Just whatever we can do. And he'll work with you on anything you want. So those are the things that kind of keep you going. And whenever you can see yourself improve, because I look at some of the plates I used to make and the ones I make now, it, it's, it makes a difference to to see how you can cut corners and, and do it faster and do it better. So you're saying the quality of the blades has definitely improved? Oh, definitely improved. I can tell myself they've definitely improved. Uh, as far as I didn't mind a scratch on my blades at one time, and now they're not coming out of my shop without a, with a scratch on them. And that comes from when you're in the Blade Society, when you take a test, when you go to... To, to go from a apprentice, which is you join the American Blade Society and you're an apprentice, you've got three years before you can become a German. And to become that German, you have to take a test. You take a performance test. And you have to build a blade, and it has to shave. Then it has to cut a two-before-one-two twice and then they put it, well, they shave again and make sure you hail the edge. And then they put it in a vise and bend it 90 degrees. It can't crack or break. And all that's doing is telling them that you know what you're doing or semi know what you're doing about tempering and hardening blades and how to heat treat them. Then you have to make five blades and percent to a judging system, which is usually in Fort Worth, Texas. And they'll judge those five blades, and all five have to pass. And they just about have to be perfect. And so that's the thing that's kind of made me a better bladesmith, is I'm, I'm striving to get those blades perfect. Don't think I'd ever do it. Because, I mean, you can always see a flaw, but, you know, as close to perfect as machine-made is, which I do mine by hand. So that's where I'm working at. And then from there, I have to wait three more years before I can test for the Master Smith. And the Master Smith is the same exact test, except it's all Damascus blades. So, and, and they're stricter as far as any flaws or whatever on a Master Smith. But... That's what kind of puts you to, you know, what what does it do for my blade making? I think people ask me that. Why would you want to do that? You know, you're building blades. Well, making it for the blade society and letting them judge them and telling me that, yes, these are almost perfect blades tells me that my blades are getting better and better. So that's kind of where I'm. That's my goal, anyway, and I can test this coming year. And uh, so I'm in the process of now making five blades to show next March. 
because the scooters got put off this year. So next March and see if I can go for the, you know, for the German test. Well, Mr. Randy, kind of going back to the show real quick. Is this one of those shows pretty much what you see on TV is really what it's like? Or is there a lot going on that somebody sitting in front of the TV really doesn't show? Or can you really, you know, speak much on that? Well, there's some things you can never tell. But but the things that that you can tell is this show, because I look at TV just like everybody did. Well, you know, they're doing that for TV. Well, one some of the things that you can't see that this show is as fair as it ever comes because they don't throw something at you that you don't know that's coming. I mean, they're not going to ask you to do something right off the bat, and they, you know, you hadn't seen it like you see on the show when they tell you we want to build you, we want you to build this blade. That's what they mean. It's not something surprising to you. Now, you do not know what they want to build until you get out there on the set. It's safety-oriented. They first make sure that everything's safe, and they make sure you're able to do it because we have a semi-physical before we even start. Uh, They don't want you to get on the set and fall out, which some of them have gotten sick and all like that, but... A lot of that is the stress and the heat because it's really hot in there. And uh, But what you see on TV is all real. There's no makeup at all. When that clock starts ticking, it's just exactly what you're seeing. And those people that are getting upset or stressed, it's, that's fact. It's a lot of pressure. To, it, it sounds like that clock's just ringing bells every time it clicks because it's that pressure you're trying to do, and some people just can't handle it. But the show is when you what you're seeing on TV is real. It's no makeup and it's no well we'll do it this way or we'll say they don't tell you what to say they don't tell you what to do when the clock starts you on your own and they they're feminine. You don't see some of the cameras and the angles, but they got cameras in you, uh, in your face. And and uh, I tell this, and I hate to tell it, but you wear makeup because that camera, you know, flashes and it shines and all like that. But uh, it, it's all real. So you're you're saying that that the makeup isn't an everyday isn't an everyday thing for you? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask that, but I figured I'd leave it alone. <laughs> yeah, this makeup stuff and all I told them, I said, now, I don't know if I want to wear any makeup, but they said, well, it's just a, it's it's something to keep the camera from shining on you because people's skin shine. Well, once, <laughs> once you get in the showbiz, I guess you gotta you gotta play the role all the way. So, <laughs> but the folks there, like the judges, and, and you know everybody says you know they they're just like me and you. They're just as nice as they can be. They don't want you to mess up they want you to do as good as you can they don't try to throw something at you 
Now, everything is, when you get there, you're going to do stuff that you've probably never done before. But they're not doing something that you can't do. And uh, the judges are super nice. The one thing about it, and this is just to go back to the fairness of it, when the judges come in there, when we first, they put you in a little room, and the judges come in and they talk to you, and they tell you right up front, we can't talk to you if you're by yourself. We can't. If they, if I come in here and there's just two of you in here, we're going to turn around and walk out. You see, we're not trying to be ugly. We just want it to be fair. And we don't want to tell you something and the others think we told you how to do something. So everything's fair about it. And and they're just as nice as they can be. And, and if they do happen to come in the room and it's just two of you there, they turn around and walk out. And you understand, they're not trying to be ugly. They just, it's got to be fair. So that's the part that I was impressed with. And the safety, you know, you, you, they want you to be safe. They don't want you to mess up. And they don't want something to happen to you. But it's it's all real. It's, uh, you know, it's, of course you do a lot of filming that don't get on TV. Because when they were at my house right here at my shop, while we were filming, I have a river that runs through my yard, and then there's a slough that's right here in front of my shop. While we were filming and doing interviews, ducks were flying in, and I said, man, this is really going to look good on TV, really. They didn't, it didn't make sense. But they, they didn't appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> they did, but I guess uh, the ones that edited did, didn't, didn't appreciate that. But uh, it, it it's real, and and it, it the, I can't stress how much you hear people say, "Oh, you know, why didn't they do this?" Money, the the pressure that's on the while you're on the set, it, it's it takes a lot to rile me. So I was okay, but some of these Smiths, it, it, it kind of gets to them, and I've I've seen them, and and I feel for them because I know how it is. Well, Randy, talk about that a little bit. Now, when you when you made it through the first round and you were going into and you had to build a sword there to for the final, correct? Right. And right. you came back to your home forge to build it. Now, you had, what, five days? No, I had 35 hours. Four days is what they count that as. They give us just four days. You had four uh, days in your shop to build a sword. Had you ever built a sword at that time? Never in my life have I ever built a Ford and didn't care to build a Ford. I didn't, I had no reason to build a sword. But you, they give you parameters, so you know what you got to do, and it's got to meet all the parameters. And I'm going to go back a little bit to the blade that I built on the set. We had to build a, uh, let me think what they called it, uh, a fantasy blade. And like I told him, I said, what is fantasy? I said, I don't watch fantasy TV. I don't, I mean, I know what fantasy is, but I don't build fantasy junk. I try to build stuff that you can use. But anyway, I just started building something and, and uh, Doug called mine a paddle. <laughs> That's how ugly it was. But I said, well, I'm trying to make it, trying to make it fantasy. And, uh, so when they did come to the house and I had to build a sword, 
I had no clue. But I started building Damascus, and that's multiple, multiple layer uh, steel. You alternate for different types of steel. And and the the uh, people that were here, they said, "You're going to do Damascus when there's ten thousand dollars on the line." I said, "Yeah." I said, "I've got to do something that'll catch the judge's eye, and they'll like it. And plus, it's got to be strong. And and I want something that's pretty. And and if you're going to show it on TV, I want something as pretty as I can get." So. It, it was hard because the first day the person was getting to me, and after about three hours, I had to start all over. And I had to think about, you know, this is, this is, uh, just calm down and do what you know to do. So that was the sword deal. It kind of started coming in, and it's just like building a knife, you just build it a lot longer. But the tricky part with a sword versus a knife, when you quince, harden it it's just a piece of steel until you harden it you got to have something long enough to harden it in so i had to build me something to quince long enough to quince in and harden it and then when you temper it after you harden it you have to temper it to get the molecules to line back up i didn't have nothing big enough to put it in so I used a chicken cooker and put mine in a chicken cooker and cooked it for two hours. And when they came back the next morning, because we temper on your own, uh, when they come back the next morning and said, what is that chicken we smell? I said, that's that plate. I had to put it in a chicken cooker. <laughs> <laughs> so my blade actually, and they didn't show that, of course, but and tell it, but my blade smelled like a chicken. <laughs> But, uh, I was, was going to ask, did it smell like some leg quarters? <laughs> it, smelled like, it smelled like leg quarters. <laughs> oh, and did you put it in your big rotisserie chicken? Uh, yeah, I put it in my big rotisserie chicken cooker, and uh, I turned it on for two hours and <laughs> and tempered it. And it it smelled just like a piece of chicken. And, uh, now, what, and heat, was first and, what heat did you have to get that up to and maintain for two hours? You have to get several different blades, but I put mine up at 275 to 300, and and it varies in that cooker. But I run mine right at 275 for two hours. And what you're after when you temper in a blade, once you harden the blade, it's it's hard and it's brittle, and and uh, so you have to temper it to get some of that hardness out, but it kind of lines the molecules up in it. And, uh, so you're after a straw color. You're after a color of the blade once you get through. And and it turns that blade what we call straw color. And uh, once you get that, it's, it's perfect. And that's what you're after. You have to kind of heat it and let it cool down slowly. And uh, that... It, it's got enough flex in it, but it's got enough hardness in it that it'll do the job and it'll hold a edge on it. So you have to do that to really make it a blade. Just to make a shape doesn't make a blade. It's just a piece of metal shaped like a knife. Until you harden it and temper it like it's supposed to be, it's not a knife or a blade. 
Well, then the handles, which I have a hard problem with, is the part that goes next. And it probably takes me longer to do a handle than it does a blade. And if I'm remembering correctly, there was a good bit of detail in that handle that you had yeah. to have to make it meet all the parameters. Right. You, you, they Everything that you do, they tell you how they want it done, but you use your imagination and your your twist on it. it our, blade, our handle had to have a drop in it, and it... They don't usually say 7 degree or 12 degree. They just tell you it needs to be a drop handle. Had to have a pommel, and that's on the end of it. They had to have a guard. So I didn't say this on TV and, and, and just because probably other people do it. And I just kind of lift it out. But <clears throat> my pommel was made from the first contestant, which was Grover. His hammer, he broke a hammer handle and was upset and kind of threw it away. Well, I got it out of the garbage can. I said, look, here's your hammer. Then I said, no, I want your hammer. He said, what do you want my hammer? And I said, well, I'm going to use it. So he gave it to me. The second fellow that went out was Chris, and I can't pronounce his last name, which we've become real good friends. We hunt together and all like that now, but I I got a set of tongs from him. So the pommel on my sword was Grover's handle, hammer. I forged it into a round pommel. And the guard on my sword was Chris's tongs that I forged into uh, a guard with uh, ball fendles on it. And uh, so they were represented with me in the finals that I took something that they owned and and uh, incorporated into my handle. Then I used exotic wood and I took a, a bracelet out of my wife's jewelry box and took the jewels out of it and I embedded them into the handle. So it had a little bit of everybody in <laughs> Now, does she know that to this day? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll admit I asked her before I took it. <laughs> but uh, she gave me one, and I, I took her jewels and put in there. Now, tell me this. Now, I know this is something that you, we, you and I talked about not after, long after the show, but one of the, the questions they had was why your handle was so big. Right. Oh. Uh, I guess I have a tendency, and a lot of folks may have the same tendency, but I have a, my hands are, are a little larger than theirs. Doug uh, and David and Ben, to me, they're little people. <laughs> they're, they're smaller, and their hands are a lot smaller. And whenever they said that, uh, one thing that they didn't put on the show was, that handle fit me, and I didn't build the handle to fit them. I built it to fit me. Should have built it a little smaller to make them like it, but I didn't think about that. But, yeah, I made my handle by doing research online of how they were made back in 504 when these blades were made, and I tried to put the same shape, which 
fit my hand perfectly, but it was a little bit large for theirs. And uh, that's one thing that if you do compete or if you do go on the show, you have to look at their hands and because they're the ones going to be testing it, and that's what you're going to do. But I didn't think about that. The, the blade itself, I made it a little bit heavier. They give you a weight, a uh, recommended weight for it. And I was, uh, I think I was three ounces over weight, which three ounces is a lot when you're swinging a long blade like that. But my blade was a little larger uh, weight-wise, and my handle was a little bigger. But it all held up, so it worked out in the end. But like you say, you're a you're a good sized fella, so you made <laughs> one that fits you properly. Just just right. not quite the a fella that's a foot shorter than you. Right, that's right, and and that's what that's one thing that I've had a little struggle with in the, in building blades is I build a blade to fit my hand; it might not fit yours. So I've had to adjust my thinking, and the show helped me because, you know, that was really the first time that I worried about building for somebody else. I just build a blade if you wanted it fine or not, but now I tend to try to build a blade that'll fill everybody's hands instead of just my hands. Now, I still build blades that fit my hands because there's other people that like big handles, but most of my blades or handles that I build now will fit anybody and uh, smaller handles because everybody don't have long hands, fingers and big hands so that's a, that's a something you have to learn in the, in the deal, you, you're building for other people and not yourself because I'd love to keep all my knives I build but I you know, I, I really love to sell all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta get some new equipment and new material without having to be your own sponsor all the time. That's right. That's right, and that's put a damper on us with this uh, virus that we've had this year. We've usually been to about two or three shows by now, and you know we've been to no shows. Uh, our first show was going to be. The, the first of this past month, and uh, it got canceled. And we have a what they call Texas Select, which is a yearly deal, and it's usually forty to fifty forge and fire folks that put on this show. When we do some charity work, and you know we raise money for kids, and and uh, but we sell knives too at that shows. And we're not able to do that, and then the the blade show that's ABS blade show, we weren't able to do that. And so that's kind of put a damper. Everybody's trying to sell online if they can. And I've got a few blades sold that people don't want to come get because of the virus. They can't leave home or whatever, which I mail some. But I like them to look at them. And I have a display here at my shop. And, uh, and I have a few schools. Well, I've had to shut my schools down because of that. and uh, But it's kind of put a damper on it as far as selling some this year. I hadn't sold as many as I did last year. Well, Randy, going to that part of it, winning the show, how much has that helped you in getting your name out, getting your business up and going, you know, getting, uh, I guess it gave you a lot of 
publicity and a lot of added attraction to to let folks know what you were doing and because you know we're not in the 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 busiest part of the country so right the the show itself uh it's helped a good bit i as far as how much i was selling blaze boy i went on the show i'm selling i say i probably sell a few more because i've had people call see you on tv and and i have uh Facebook stuff, they can go on and see them, and I've had people call and come by, and they want to meet you, and they want a knife just because you want this uh, forge and fire, so it's helped a lot. Uh, when you go, we go to some of these shows that, that forge and fire people put on, it helps a lot. Uh, that's what the people come there for, is to see people that's been on the show. And, and uh, kids love it and and i love to we take pictures with kids and i i do some nice shows gun shows and things and you have kids that take the pictures and that's part of it uh so it's helped a good bit uh probably more than i realized because i traveled a lot and i'd stop and somebody say oh i saw you on tv i want one of your blades so would never see me if it hadn't been for the TV show. So that it's it's helped a good bit as far as selling blades. Do you think they'll do a a season where you may go back? Will they do a Forge and Fire Champions face off? They usually or? do. Uh, <clears throat> don't know that it's an invite deal when it comes to a championship deal. They they kind of pick uh, let's say they pick six uh, champions or seven champions whatever they set up to do and and they pick random and they probably look at uh, how the ratings was on the show when they probably picked out somebody like that I don't know exactly how they go through this a lot of times it's a judges pick but they probably will but is this show has created a lot of bladesmiths, wannabe bladesmiths, and some real good bladesmiths that's never been recognized, and they've been able to get on the show, and it's helped them out. So there's a lot of new up-and-coming bladesmiths that they're, they've got casting now, which they're casting for season eight now, which they can't do nothing right now, but they are taking interviews and doing... So that's... It's a possibility because uh, th- this show was, had, uh, did have the number one ratings on the History Channel. I don't know where it is today because I hadn't talked to them in a while, but uh, the show's doing real good. So I think if they you know, run out of new folks, they're going to come back with a uh, champion of champions. I've been asked a hundred times, would I do it? And it's up in the air too, but I think I would because I'd love to have a, a two title instead of just a one. And I, I, you know, I think I can win it. I don't, you know, it's, everybody does hope to do anyway. Refresh our memory on, on when you, when you won it, what was the prize that you won? Well, <clears throat> 
when you win Forge and Fire, you receive a check for $10,000. One thing I look at is they keep your blade, so I sold my blade for $10,000, what it amounts to for me. Uh, they use it on for demonstrations. They put it on a wall. They, they use the winner's blades, and you get a check. Uh, so the $10,000 is great. Everybody wants it. To me, that wasn't the best part of it. The best part of it is, is all the, the friends that I've made out of the deal and, and the acquaintances of bladesmiths and things like that. But $10,000 is a pretty good jump for winning a competition. Have you sold a blade yet that that met or, or exceeded that ten thousand dollars? Is pretty much that's what that's kind of what it come out to be. In? Well, no, but I've sold some blades that I never would think I'd have sold. Uh, I've I've sold some blades that uh, <laughs> it, it surprised myself that that people would pay that for blades. Uh, I would never pay for them like that. But I've had, just for an example, I had a fella met me on the highway. He said, we were just talking about that. And he, he was forging fire person. I said, yeah. He said, I'd like to have one of your knives. And I said, well, what do you want? Long story short, we uh, he agreed on what he wanted. I told him, I said, well, it's going to cost you, you know, a pretty penny. And I don't want to say how much, but it was close to $1,000. And he said, Hurry up and get it done. <laughs> you know, he never backed up. Wow. He wanted the blade. And and, uh, and so I built his blade, sent it to him. All my blades are guaranteed. If, if you don't like it, you don't own it. And if it breaks, I'll fix it as long as you don't misuse it. And uh, so he was tickled. I guess he's tickled to death. You know, he sent me the money and I mailed him the, the the blade and he was tickled death. I've been able to sell and that's probably part of the cause of the show, but I've been able to sell some blades that I wouldn't wouldn't have figured you could sell blades for that kind of money. Uh, I'm still not up in the four and five thousand dollar blades, but I want to get there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> one of my mentors, uh, Jerry Fisk, that does his own engraving. He sells his blades for up to ten thousand dollars, but now they're gold inlaid, so they little. But you know, when you get there, you feel like you done made something. <laughs> but uh, they're show blades, and and I make a user blade, so I don't know that I'd ever get there. But you know, if I'm selling a blade for fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars, I'm tickled. I don't care if you use it or put it on the shelf. <laughs> yeah. I guess the next, the most expensive I sold other than the sword was probably right at $2,000. So, you know, you can do that. You make sell a couple of them a week, a month, and you'd do all right. Yeah, yeah, I ought to be able to squeak by there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, I like to make blade that people can use. So that blade's going to cost you anywhere from three to $500. And uh, it's according if it's fancy or not fancy, but I want you to use it. 
I don't want it stuck up on the shelf. Uh, I made the blade for the uh, Mississippi Loggers Association. That's that's a looking blade. That's I embedded their emblem on it, engraved it, uh, and I did a little more extra to it. And it's it's really one to look at. Uh, it's it's a good looking blade, and they're gonna auction it off or raffle it off at the end of the year. And it is pretty one. And and if I do it again next year, I'm gonna do a little different. So those type blades yeah, are are to look at, and because uh, I wouldn't think anybody'd want to use it because it's got all the engraving on it. But you know, they can do what they want to with them. Mm-hmm. Well, Randy, you've had several different speaking engagements here lately, haven't you? Different different things you're doing other few, than going yeah. just going to the shows. Right. That's, you know, and I'm not much of a speaker, but I've, I've did uh, one or two of those, and I've got a couple of them lined up, which had a couple canceled, of course, and, and I've got a um, guest speaker at, uh, uh, in Starkville in October, I believe, to uh, a bank with the American, I mean, the uh, Mississippi Loggers Association, and then I was supposed to be in at another function in uh, Hazelhurst, and I was, uh, I made a blade for a hydraulic company, their open house. I made two blades, actually, out of some equipment that they had, out of a pieces they had, and I made blades out of them, and I gave them away at their uh, open house, and I've made a few, and I've gotten a few calls, and because I don't do telephone, Facebook, or this other stuff. This PM, I just now figuring out what this is. I got a lot of calls, uh, people that have messaged me on there that I didn't get to a week later that's been asked. But uh, anyway, I'm learning how to look at that. Mr. Randy, I know we're kind of getting toward the end of the show here, but if somebody does want to get in contact with you, they want a blade made, what's what's the best way to do that? They can either go online uh, and go to my Facebook page. It's, it's listed at Randy Caston. I'm on Facebook and, and uh, Instagram. Or they can call and leave me a message because I don't get service all the time, but it's Six zero one five five one five one zero seven, and I have an email address. They can email me. It's J R Caston C A S T O N at bellsouth.net. Shoot okay. me a line on there. Call me and leave a message, and I'll call you back. And and uh, I do custom blades, and I've got a inventory, so um, some already built. Well, good deal. Good deal, man. We appreciate you visiting with us today. And, uh, heck, it's always, always good to catch up with somebody local around us and, uh, and hear about their, uh, their stardom that they, they stumbled into there. <laughs> yeah. It was a stumble. And I appreciate y'all asking me. And, and it's, and it's an honor to be able to spread what you can do and, and to, uh, you know, share it with other folks. So it's, it's been a good ride. Absolutely, Mr. Randy. We appreciate you, and we hope all of you enjoyed this episode of Outdoor Country Talk with Jacob and Jeremy. God bless. God bless.
I got the radio on. 